All right. Can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Good. That was a really cool intro video. I've never seen that before. So that was really cool. I'm so sorry that it leads up to me. Wish I could do. <laughs> wish I could do better than that. But <laughs> all right, guys. Well, I'm here. I'm back from around the world. Went to New Zealand. Changed a couple lives. You guys should have seen Solomon Joshua. If you guys know who those people are, they're very, very amazing people. I mean, they're just on fire. I mean, I'm. Joshua could be more proud, bro. You're doing awesome, man. It's so great. Um, so today we're talking about the unshakable mission. As my wife said, um, that was my first mission trip, which is so strange because I'm a full-time missionary. Isn't that kind of crazy? Uh, but that's because I take the mission field so seriously here domestically that I decided to get out finally internationally. So I'm really excited about that. If you guys are wondering why I'm sitting, it's because one of my heroes, his name is Pastor Brett Fuller. He sits, so I just thought I'd do it. Uh, seriously. <laughs> But to be honest with you, uh, I think that if you guys know me outside of this context of what we have right now, I'm a very loud and boisterous person. Um, And I think when I want to capture people's attention, I think I'd rather sit because it's something you don't expect from me. That's actually the real reason why I do this. But today is the unshakable mission, the unshakable life that helps others find and follow Jesus. Um, That's the title of the message today. So I'm going to pull from uh, the Great Commission, a very famous scripture in Mark 16, 14 through 20. If you guys can flip there, or it's on the screen, I think, so don't. Uh, All right. Afterward, actually, let's pray. Let's do that. We we don't pray enough. Let's do that. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, us being here and gathered here together with you and all of our family, Lord. Um, Thank you for filling our lungs with air again, God, and I just once again have the privilege of preaching your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed him, believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel of the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak new tongues. They will pick up serpents in their hands, and if they drink the deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So that's the, that's the main idea for today is the Great Commission, which is in every nation world we love to talk about the Great Commission because what we do the best is we go and make disciples. And I'm so excited about it. It's something that I, I had the privilege of experiencing when I was a student at Texas State around 2008, 2009. That's when I met Peter. He wasn't Pastor Peter then. He was just Peter. And he was an amazing guy that just totally just, just rocked my world by talking about this stuff. But I want to talk about how someone does live an unshakable mission. If we go to the next slide, I don't know if that's on there, but Mark 1, 16 through 20. Great. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants and followed him. Did you guys catch that? They left their father in the boat. So when you guys talk about what it is to live an unshakable mission, an unshakable life for Jesus, I know that sometimes plans don't always go the way you think they're going to go. 
sometimes your life can take these drastic turns that you just don't really understand, you don't see coming. Uh, I know that me and my father, we had a little dispute back in the day uh, when I was first giving my life to Christ, and I kind of left him in the boat, so, so to speak. I just said, you know what, I'm going. This is what I'm doing. This is what changed my life. This is what got me out of that pit, um, and he didn't get it. Uh, but praise God, God is, is, is sovereign, and uh, my dad's on board now, so we're so great about that. But, so the main idea is going to talk about the unshakable mission. So how did the Apostle Peter do this? This is kind of the main idea that I want to talk about, is this guy Peter, who's a great guy in the Bible, my favorite character, I'm a little biased there because I think that my pastor's Peter, so maybe that's why, but um, the unshakable mission can be categorized into three main ideas, the call to be a disciple, the call to deny yourself, and the call to go and make disciples. If you do all these things daily, you will find yourself living an unshakable life. There's a famous quote by Bruce Lee. He says, uh, they asked him, he said, Bruce, are you scared of a guy that knows like a thousand moves? If you guys don't know who Bruce Lee is, the great martial artist guy, of course everyone knows. And he says, um, Bruce, are you scared of a guy that knows a thousand martial arts moves? And he says, no. He says, I'm scared of a guy that, kn- that has practiced one move a thousand times. So when you talk about how to live an unshakable life, there's only three moves that you need to practice. Make a disciple, deny yourself, and go make more disciples. That's all it is, and your life will become unshakable. Peter had three calls. I don't know if you guys know this. I didn't know this until I started writing this message. I think I've read it, but I never actually put it together. That Peter had three calls. In John, we have the account of, of his brother, Andrew, coming up to him and says, says, Peter, we found the Messiah. He's here. We found him. He's here. And Peter goes. And that was Peter's first call out of darkness. Then what we see is in Matthew, we see the famous scripture about Jesus going to the Sea of Galilee and making fishers of men. That's a famous one. There's also a third call. In Matthew 10, it says that Jesus called to himself the twelve and made them apostles. So actually, people think about the first call of, of Peter, which is uh, uh, the famous Sea of Galilee, come and make disciples, I'll make you fishers of men kind of thing. But Peter actually had three calls. And this isn't just my, uh, my heresy, if you want to call it that. This comes from Charles Spurgeon, who's a very, very famous and revered theologian who talks about the three calls of Peter uh, in his life. So we see there's almost two categories here. There's, we see Peter, he first has a call to be a disciple, which is living an unshakable mission. How did he remedy that? He called, because Peter was called out of darkness. So we see a parallel there. There was a disciple, the call to come out of darkness, as each one of you has probably experienced in this room, or so I hope. The second call is the call to deny yourself, Peter. Peter was a fisherman. He had a job. Uh, he had his own plans. I'm sure he was doing his own thing when Jesus found him. Uh, but once again, Jesus says, come and I'll make you fishers of men. So Jesus didn't even just leave it at that. He called Peter outside the boat, made him a new occupation, later on gave him a new name. Now, that doesn't happen anymore, but sometimes I wish it did. It's really hard. How many of you guys know it's really hard to become a Christian because you have your whole past behind you and all your best friends and people on Facebook, they all see the stuff that you did. And sometimes I think it's easier if you would just change your name. And then I started to realize, oh, that's why he did it. It was so much easier to move on to the past if you re-identify your whole identity around Christ. The last one, to call to follow. Now, this wasn't just whenever uh, Jesus called him in Matthew 10 and made him an apostle. He was already a disciple. He was already following Jesus. He was already a student, so to speak. But this is a different kind of call. This is a call to leadership. This is a call to spiritual authority. Um, and it's those three ways that Peter, is this thing on? Did it, did it just drop out? Okay, good. Um, 
It's those three things that made Peter live an unshakable life, was the answered three calls to Christ. One is to be a disciple, to deny himself, and to make more disciples. Those are the only three things, the only three ingredients you need to live an unshakable life. So I want to ask you guys a question regarding the, the question of calling to be a disciple. Why are you guys here this morning? What is this about? Why are we here? The answer out of your mouth should be because I'm a disciple of Christ and that's a task that I can't do alone. That should be the answer out of your mouth. In other words, I want you guys to look at each other and just say, I'm here because you're here. That's it. It sounds, it sounds kind of weird. That's exactly it. I'm here because Pastor Peter's here. I'm here because Tiff is here. I'm here because you guys are my family, and my faith is stirred when I'm around you guys. I'm here because you're here. I can go pray at home. But listen, if Jesus meant for me to pray at home and not engage with his family right here, he wouldn't have had 12 disciples. I'm here because you're here. In 2008, my life was pretty rocky. It wasn't unshakable. It was very shakable. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I was involved in that I shouldn't have been involved in. My wife grew up a missionary's kid, and I was definitely the opposite of that. In fact, I hated missions, and there was a point in our relationship where I told my wife, she was my girlfriend then, but I said, we're never going to talk about God. Like, that is going to ruin our relationship. Like, do not ever bring up that name in front of me ever again. That's a, tr- that's a quote, unquote, by the way. <laughs> and now I'm here preaching the word. Um, but my life was shaky. And once I met Peter, and Peter invited me out to coffee, and I started just meeting up with him like weekly and talking about my life and the hardness in my heart and everything like that, things started to change. And because I didn't have that much going on for me at that moment, I really didn't have too much to lose. I felt, I, I felt like I lost everything already. I just said, you know what, God, like, I'm just going to do the first thing, which I didn't know was a big deal. I said, I'm just going to deny myself. And I even told Peter, I said, Peter, you know what, like, I'm just going to, I just, anything that you ask me to do, I'm just going to submit to your authority, which is really hard for me to do. And I said, Peter, I'm going to submit to your authority, and anything you ask me to do, as long as it's not morally wrong, I'm going to do it. And I remember the first thing that Peter told me, I don't know if you remember this, but the first thing he told me, he said, great, go pass out these flyers for a church on Bikini Hill, which is like this, that hill by Texas State where all the girls lay on it. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's no way, like how can possibly... <laughs> But I, but I made this promise. I was like, God, I'm trying to turn a new leaf. I'm going to go ahead and do this. So I went and I did it, and people were laughing at me, and the people were like making it out in front of me and trying to like make me mad, and they didn't realize that I was like doing that the week before. You know, it was just, and, but, it was, but it was the situation that was full of irony, but I said, you know what, God, I'm going to submit to your authority. I'm going to do what Peter calls me to do. So I just jumped right in, which I didn't know was that big of a deal. Um, I remember, and I don't know the theological basis for this, but I was, I was on the campus because I was just, I don't know if I was on fire for God as much as I said, you know what, God, thank you for giving me a job to do, because I know where I would be if I wasn't doing this. I was on the college campus before I was even baptized. I was probably staying out there for like eight hours. I remember skipping days of class and just talking to people about God. I'm not suggesting that anybody does that here. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that there's, there's a difference here, that the call to be a disciple is evident on my life. I didn't know what else to do. I was out for hours. In 2012, I became a Christian, maybe 2009 or so, baptized 2011. Graduated 2012. By then, I had baptized more people than I could count. I really didn't know how many people I had baptized. And that's not a point of pride for me. Uh, I'm going to recap this at the end of the message. But uh, actually, I don't know if you guys know, uh, Alberto came up to me years later. And Alberto says, Dan, like, thank you for that day. And I said, what day? And he goes, thank you for baptizing me. And I said, what? <laughs> I didn't even know. I, didn't, I, I had no idea because I was just 
It was just a situation where I was just ministering to so many people that I was just dunking whoever gave their life to Christ. And he was one of them. He was one of them. Praise God. And he's here. Um, but the whole point was, he, God gave me a job to do as a disciple, as working and evangelizing on the college campus. So go, relaying this back to Peter, the apostle, if you guys think about how many sales calls you get in a month, or salesmen that you meet, maybe at Best Buy, or maybe HEB, or wherever you go, or sales pitches, or marketers that you hear of, advertisements you get on YouTube, whatever it is, how many of those of the, you encounter, and how many do you give your life to? So the fact that Peter the Apostle met this dude, Jesus, and he said, come follow me, and the dude dropped his stuff and followed him, what is that? There has to be something else there. This, it, that doesn't just happen. And this isn't, I don't, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us what Peter was thinking of, but I have a feeling that Peter was looking and faithfully working until that moment. I have a big feeling that Peter was going into work as a fisherman and just laboring day in and day out in the stinky fish and the stinky water, all muddy and gross and everything like that. I have a feeling he probably hated it. I have a feeling that's probably all he thought it was ever going to amount to. I have a feeling he just thought, you know what, I'm never going to make it past this. This is who I am. This is, I came from a family of fishermen. This is all that life has for me. I have a feeling that Peter was hopeless. And the only reason why I have that feeling was because that's where I was. This is all I'm ever going to be. And if you know the line about Jesus catching, or Jesus saying, I'm going to make you fishers of men, he spoke to that to Peter in a way that Peter could relate, because Peter was a fisherman by occupation. He knew the analogy. He would understand it. But every fisherman here knows that you can't catch every fish with the same bait. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? Um, I don't know what other bait Jesus used, but I know in that, that situation, the bait that he used to catch Peter was the thought of destiny. Peter, you're more than just this. You're more than just a fisherman. You're more than what the world tells you that you are. You're more than the clerk at H-E-B. You're more than the clerk that does this. You're more than the college student. You're more than just the, the, the pre-med student. You're more than this. He used the idea of destiny because Peter was looking. Jesus used destiny through an unshakable mission to catch Peter. So when you talk about you becoming a disciple and how you came to this, what was it that Jesus spoke to you? I know for me, as an evangelist, I, I, there's that famous scripture that says, I become all things to all men so I can win some. Sometimes I can reach people that I kind of have to adapt my personality to. I don't change who I am. I'm, I've never been a faker. But there are certain situations where I highlight things of my past, where I highlight things where I'm transparent more than I would some other person, because that's what I do. That's, I am, I'm a fisherman. That's what, that's what an evangelist is. And just because I have a passion for evangelism doesn't mean I'm good at it. Um, I consider it something like a craft. It's something that, yes, God gave me a heart and a passion for it, but as a craftsman, I have to hone my craft and become adaptable in every situation. The second call to being an un living an unshakable life, speaking about un unshakable missions, so the first call is to be a disciple. The second call is to deny yourself. You know, it's so funny because I remember back in the day, I used to taunt Christianity and by looking like for all kinds of ways to poke holes in the faith. And one thing that I found... Um, was that there wasn't anything in any other thought or system that wasn't either more intense or highlighted in Christianity. Uh, if you guys know anything about transcendental meditation, 
It's this thing where people tote about an out-of-body experience. They say they, they concentrate, they close their eyes, they do this kind of stuff, they meditate. All of a sudden, they're somewhere else. It's an out-of-body experience. What I've experienced in Christianity is that not only just an out-of-body experience, it's an out-of-person experience. I'm not the same person that I used to be. Not only that, I don't do the same things I used to do. I don't think the same way I used to think. And I catch myself doing stuff that I never thought I would do on the college campus, evangelizing, taking a mission trip, doing all that kind of stuff. It's not just out of body, it's out of person. I'm not the same guy. So when you're talking about the call to deny yourself, I want to introduce the idea of false fulfillment. Has anyone ever felt like you've been stuck in a transition? It's a kind of a painful place to be. Um, it's, it's not nice. It, it's, it's good that you're advancing in life, but sometimes when you're stuck in a transition, you just feel like you're going backwards. You're stuck at your old job with your old name and all of your past. That's where eventually the walk of Christianity will get you. You're stuck at your old job with your old name and all of your past. There's going to be people in the background saying, you're no different. Who are you trying to kid? You're just not. I know you, Dan. You've done too much. You've said too much. You're just not the same guy. You're a guy that drinks at the bar. You're a guy that just wreaks havoc on the city. That's the guy that you are. To think you're anything else is a lie. You're lying to yourself, Dan. And when people would say stuff like that, I found myself stuck in transition. I found myself in a situation where I was wanting to follow Christ with everything that I had, but my past was holding on to me even stronger. There was always a temptation to go back. Let's talk about the Israelites in in, uh, Exodus. You know, when they were in Egypt, well, when they were in Egypt, they were slaves, pretty much. Um, they were beaten, they were harassed, they were oppressed, they were everything, they were downcast at everything. But then when Moses was taking them to freedom, and yes, he got a little lost there, but when he was taking them to freedom, they said, why don't we just go back to Egypt? It's just easier there. I mean, we, we have food at least, we have something to drink at least, but you know what? Like, let's just go back, Moses. This sucks being out here in the desert for 40 years. It's, it's awful. But there's always a temptation to go back. Later on in the scriptures, Peter, the fisherman that had this glorious moment of all this kind of stuff, being with Jesus as he performed these miracles and all this kind of stuff, after it's all said and done and Jesus dies on the cross, where does he go back to? He goes back fishing. He goes back to the one thing he knew how to do, the one thing that the world told him that he was. He had this cool experience with Jesus for three years of of changing the world, and all of a sudden he's nothing again. So what is it that you are drawn back to when your faith is not working for you very well? It's a personal question. You've got to ask yourself, what is it that you're drawn back to? What's your silver bullet? That's what we call, call it ministry. What is your silver bullet? If it happened to you now, boom, your faith would be rocked. You wouldn't be a Christian anymore. What is that silver bullet? What are you drawn back to? I guarantee you, your silver bullet and the way that you cope with that are very, very tied and that we all need deep healing for. Peter's walk with Christ was unshakable, but it definitely wasn't without shakes. I mean, it was a, he, was a very, he was a very rocky kind of guy. He, he was cutting dudes' ears off, and, and he said some weird stuff all the time. Uh, he really didn't even know who Jesus was till the end. I don't know if you guys realize that. The, one of the greatest apostles didn't really get it until the end. Even Peter thought he was unqualified for the job. There's that situation where, where Jesus is going to wash the feet, and Peter says, no, I'm not qualified for that. Like, you cannot wash me. And I get that, that, that feeling of false humility, but it really comes down from a deeper issue of saying, Jesus, I'm just a fisherman. 
why are you choosing me? Why could you possibly, what, what could I possibly do for you? He didn't get it till the very end. There will be times when you want to walk away from the faith. There just will be. God, I'm following you, but I don't got the scholarship. Situation some people say to themselves. God, I'm following you, but I still don't have the job. God, I'm following you, but I still don't have the house. God, I'm following you now, and I'm turning away from my past, and I stopped drinking, I stopped doing this, but I still don't got the girl. God, I'm following you, and I, I, I haven't done anything in a long time, but I still don't have the money. God, I, I still don't have the dream. God, I'm following you now, and I'm living right. I'm doing everything the way I should be doing, but I still don't have the healing. God, I'm following you, but I still don't feel happy. How many of you guys have felt that way? Yeah, me too. But being unshakable doesn't mean that you don't have bumps in the road. It's deciding that the bump will not defeat you or your faith. Being a disciple of Christ cannot be dependent on what you think God will do for you in the future. It has to be dependent on what he's already done for you when you were dead in your sin and destined for oblivion. Do you guys understand what I'm trying to say? You know, oftentimes in the college campus, people ask me, if there's a good God, why does he let, why does he let bad things happen to good people, Dan? If God is so powerful, why doesn't he just stop that? And I said, you know what, man, like, You've heard that nobody's perfect, and he says, yes. And I said, we've all sinned against God. So the real question is not, why does he let bad things happen to good people? Why does he let anything good happen to us at all? Why does he allow me, in, in, in his grace and all of my sin, to have a beautiful wife that I don't deserve? I don't know. Why, even though I've, I've cussed my parents out in the past, I've done some horrible stuff against them, why are my parents still married? I have no idea. I don't know. Why does God let anything good happen to us? Denying yourself doesn't mean that you'll never enjoy life again. It just means that your, your joy is going to be totally reoriented to his joy and his purpose for you. That's that idea that I'm talking about, that idea of, of, of false fulfillment. is understanding that now you're a new creation. It's like, I just don't, I don't really get the joy out of the things that I used to get, Dan. I don't know what it is. I remember when I was first coming to Christ, there were situations where I was just, I don't know, I was cursing like a sailor, and all of a sudden I found myself kind of just like putting the mute button on and catching myself and holding myself differently. People would even say, Dan, you just look different. Your shoulders are up. Your head's not hung to the floor. There's something different about you. Denying yourself, it just simply means that I'm no longer going to rely on the things that I'm tempted with to save me. Drugs, alcohol, sex, money, cars, sports. There's a huge difference between enjoying something and identifying with it. And that's something that I learned very painfully. I thought I was a musician. I said, God, if I'm not a musician, then I'm nothing. And I'll give you everything in my life except my music, God. Why? Because I identified with it. I thought that made me somebody. That made me who I was. That was whenever, whenever the rest of the world said that I was no good or not worth something. For some reason... That's what I thought was me. Now, it gets a little tricky whenever you're a follower of Christ because all of a sudden you think that anything that has the name of God attached to it, that it can't possibly be an idol. But I think Peter and I will tell you that's totally untrue. I mean, I'm a missionary now, but as soon as I start letting that become an idol in my life, that's going to be trouble. 
Instead, I'm a man on a mission. There are reasons why denying yourself is so important, like what Peter did. He was an, his occupation was a fisherman, but all of a sudden, he's having to deny that, deny his comfort of going back to fish, denying what the sons of Zebedee did, which is denying their father in the business, leaving them on the boat. There's a whole situation of people that are having to deny themselves and what they think they're made for. Do you guys realize that it's impossible to forgive someone while you're holding a grudge? It's impossible to move forward from your mistakes while you're being stuck in the past. These are things that God is telling you to deny. It's impossible to do it your way and God's way at the same time. It's just not going to happen. It's impossible to be stubborn and wise. You could say something like, I'm strong, I'm independent, but when you need help, when are you going to ask for it? It's impossible to let Jesus be the Lord of your life if you insist on being your own Savior. So if you're a disciple, the call to deny yourself is denying that you can save yourself, that you can comfort yourself. And that's what I think made Peter so powerful, is that he said, you know, God, I'm, I'm giving up my comfort. I'm giving up the very thing that I know how to do my whole life, and now I'm a disciple. Denying yourself and letting God be first is the most important step to freedom. All right, you guys are asleep. I'm going I'm I'm to say that again. Denying yourself, letting God be God is the first and most important step to freedom. How many of you guys feel like right now, I'm just not free, Dan? I just, I'm full. I mean, I'm, I'm doing everything. I'm, 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 just, I'm just not free. I'm here. I'm in, I'm in church Sunday morning, 10 a.m., showed up on time. I'm praising. I got up when Tiff told me to. I'm still not free. It might be because you're not letting God be God and do what he wants to do with your life. I'm not saying that you're not going to enjoy life again. I'm just saying you're not letting him change your opinion on things. The third thing is to call and go and make disciples. If you guys have learned anything from now, I hope you guys have realized that life is not a vacuum. You're going to be sucked either one way or the other. That's just the way it goes. That's the dichotomy of life. I mean, for some reason, I don't know why, but life always ends in dichotomies. There's, there's, there's free fall and there's gravity. There's just those kinds of two things that happen together. Um, you know, there's Democrats and Republicans. I'm not going to turn this politically, but that's what I'm trying to, the point that I'm trying to illustrate, for some reason, there's always a fork in the road, and you're either going to go one way or the other. That's just the way it is. It's been said, obviously, in the Psalms, that I think it's in the Psalms, um, that idle hands are the devil's work. But I want you guys to realize, if God did not wake you up today and bring you here to church for whatever reason, what would you actually be doing right now? For some people, maybe the question is even, what did you do last night? But the fact that he woke you up and brought you here is allowing you to start again. See, the human default, when things are too smooth or too boring, you're always going to look at mischief around the corner. I don't know if you guys really realize that, but it's something that I realized that left to my own devices, man, I'm, I'm no good on my own. That's the truth of it. When things are going too well with me and my wife, I start making trouble for some reason. I don't know what it is. Whenever things are going too well in my life, I start fighting with my neighbors and my mom and my friends and everything like that. It's just, I don't know why. It's a weird thing. I remember thinking a long time ago with this concept of the millennial generation, which I think I, I, I made it by like two years, I think. So congratulations for me. I'm a, I'm a millennial. <laughs> 
But there's this great thought about how the building generation of the 20s were building America. That was the generation that helped start things like Walmart and Walgreens and Johnson & Johnson, these great corporations, right? In the 40s and 50s, there was the, the world wars, uh, which people had a reason to fight. They had a reason to go out. There, the women went to go work in the workforce, which is a great thing. Uh, in the 60s, there was the Vietnam War. There was all kinds of stuff happening. People had to rally around this, this, for this war that no one really understood. But for the past, what, 40, 30-something years, there hasn't really been too much going on, which might explain why we're just turning to ourselves and turning internal chaos. I don't know. The truth is that the human soul is designed to fight. There's just something that we're going to fight for. I'm either going to fight for myself, fight for my family, or I'm just going to fight you. <laughs> it's just the truth of it. That's the way we are. We're designed to fight, baby. And if you don't find yourself something to fight for, I guarantee you're going to make trouble for yourself. <laughs> Rather than be stuck in our own world of vanity and temptation, Jesus' method of freedom was not just saying you're free, it's giving us a new job and a new purpose and a new name and a new beginning. That's a very aggressive approach to getting you out of a hole. Imagine if you told someone right now, doctor, I'm sick, I got this and that. He's like, all right, you know, you know what? I'm just going to change the name on your thing right here. It's going to make things better. Why don't you quit your job? I want you to go do something else. While you're at it, I, whatever your family's telling you, don't do that. Do, can you imagine that prescription? Which is just, let me rename you. Let me just turn your whole life upside down. But yet, that's exactly what gets the job done. It's really hard to call Jesus Lord if you don't take the prescription. It's really hard to understand, God, why am I not free yet? Why am I not, why am I not feeling less anxiety? About? It's really hard to do that unless you let God be God. It's very hard to do that. As a disciple of God, it is my unshakable mission to make more disciples. That's the work that he's had me do. That is the unshakable mission, to make more disciples. That's it. That's all, I'm, that's all my job is, to make more disciples. Because there is literally nothing better for me to do. Ask yourself that question. What else could you do that's better than make a disciple? Is there anything that you can come up with? I don't know. I mean, maybe you can put, like, I, I, got, a rate, I got a promotion at my job. Well, great. But did you make a disciple? I got another doctorate degree, Dan. I, I got three degrees now. Well, great. But did you make a disciple? Did you change a life? Did you set someone free? No, but I got an increase. Well, what is that? You can't take that with you when you're gone. There is literally nothing better for me to do. So going back to what I talked about, about in the beginning of talking about how I baptized all those people, now I don't even know their names. I don't know where they're at. I don't, I don't know how many there has been <laughs> that I've baptized. I don't know. But it's because there wasn't anything better for me to do. There wasn't like I, was, I had something waiting on me uh, there wasn't like I, was, I, was having, I had a scholarship or I was on American Idol and I had this. and There was nothing. There was nothing there because I'd given all up already. I'd given it up. I said, God, I'm going to let you have my, I'm going to quit my occupation. I'm going I'm I'm to stop being a rock star even though I'm not one. I'm going like, to stop doing this stuff. I'm going to give it all to you. And it came to this point where literally I've had countless conversations and people have said, Dan, you know what? I just want to do what you do. I said, well, great. I just make disciples. That's all it is. It's been said that the best defense is a great offense, and I think that's something that I do very well. I just play great offense. There really is no defensive plan. My defensive plan is called Peter. 
<laughs> that's, my, that's my plan, is read my Bible and call Peter. That's just my plan. I don't, it, doesn't ha- it doesn't get any better than that. That's, that's it. But I play great offense. And why? Because there's nothing better for me to do. As a disciple, there's nothing better for me to do than make more disciples. If you're wondering why you're miserable at your job, go make a disciple. If you're wondering why you're miserable at school, go make a disciple at school. If you're wondering why you're miserable at this church, go make a disciple here. <laughs> do something. Make a disciple. I guarantee you it'll totally shift your perspective on what your purpose is. We can talk all day about how Christians should stop with the doing and go, but we often forget why God chose us for his plan to free people when he didn't need to. Do you guys understand that God doesn't need you to do anything? God already died for me. Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago. He doesn't owe me a single thing. If tomorrow, for some reason, something should happen bad to my parents or my wife, I've chosen to not be bitter or angry because he didn't owe me anything to begin with. Rather, through his grace, I've received all this love, and all I'm doing is giving it back. So why then do we go? Why do I go? Why do all all of us people in this little church that's turned over like something like almost 20 full-time missionaries, why do we go? Because there's literally nothing better for us to do. We go because as a disciple, we need to go. And there's that burn in my heart that says, I need to go. You know, when I was working uh, full-time at a chiropractic clinic, it had been such a situation where I'd been on the college campus for hours. I was so used to just evangelizing for hours and talking to people about my faith that when I was there, I remember the first day I met this woman. I won't say her name because she she's comes here. Um, but I met this woman and uh, she was going through a hard time. And I did the only thing I knew how to do, which was just, hey, I have a Bible study at my place. I'd love for you to come. And she came, which is the craziest part. She came after she was in jail, but she came. After that, she introduced us to her boyfriend, who I think Peter ended up baptizing some months later. And Kristen and I got really involved in this lady's life. And she became, she was not only just a uh, my patient of mine, but she became my friend, she became my coworker. she became somebody that we hung out with. I did life with this woman, and she was originally my patient. <laughs> she was, that's how it was, because that's exactly what my mission was. I, I, to the common eye, I was definitely a chiropractic assistant, and I was doing some medical diagnosis and all this kind of other stuff. That, to the untrained eye, that's what I was, but people didn't realize that I was a man on a mission. So much so that I think like 12 or so of my patients ended up coming to this church. And I'm not saying that as a bragging person. I'm just saying because that's my mission. That was my new identity now. That's what I know how to do. I went to college and got a good degree, but that's not what I specialize in. You can ask any woman in here, but a man with a conviction, a drive, and a vision is a very, very attractive thing because that's the kind of man that really does end up changing the world. If you see a guy that's just, or even a woman for that matter, I mean, they're both equal, if you see someone with a really strong driving conviction and just saying, I'm going that way, all of a sudden you follow. Because it's rare to see nowadays is a conviction and a drive and a purpose. So imagine a man with God's conviction, with God's drive, with God's vision, who will lead people out of slavery into freedom that changes people's worlds. I don't want to change the world, guys. That's not why I'm here. I don't want to change the world. I've seen the scripts. I've read the cliff notes. I know how it ends. I don't want to change the world. I want to change people's worlds. That's my job, is to change your world. That's what we do as disciples. We set people free. 
So why did Peter do all this stuff? Why did Peter live an unshakable life as an unshakable mission, even though he had tons of shakes in it? Because he had a conviction. He had a drive. He had a purpose. He had a new identity. And that's the kind of passion that we're talking about. We're talking about someone that says, you know what, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, but I know what I'm doing tomorrow. I'm making a disciple. I don't know where I'm going to be 10 years from now, but I know what I'll be doing. I'll be making disciples. That's what I'll be doing. I don't know where I'm going to be 30 years from now, if I'm going to live in this city or that city, if I'm even going to start doing that job that I studied for college for. I don't know, but I do know what I'm going to be doing at that moment. I'm going to be making disciples. That's all it is. You live an unshakable mission by living an unshakable life. Albert Einstein once said, everyone is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing it's stupid. I say that if you never tell a person how Jesus has freed them through his death, they will forever live believing that they are a slave to sin in this life. There's a conviction there. That's my purpose. Whatever your potential is, whatever your destiny is, whatever it is, my job is to go out there and grab it and get you with me. The gospel of Jesus is not passive, guys. It's just not. It's not a passive thing. I know that, that Hollywood makes it seem that way. That's a very passive thing. We sit in our room and pray, but it's actually very aggressive and vigilant in its pursuit of peace. Very aggressive and very vigilant. Christians play great offense, and I think we need to keep doing that. So when you think about yourself, why are so many things of life getting to me? Why does the little thing that happened at work, why does it get to me and it stays with me for days? Why is that one thing my mom and my dad said or my cousin said, why does it stay with me for days? It could just be because you're not playing good offense. I guarantee you, once you really start having a bad day and start getting a little bit sad and down about yourself, but then this guy you were talking to just gave his life to God, I guarantee you your problem will be, boom, gone. Guarantee you. Because that's what playing good offense is. Understanding that my world is this small, but I have, potentially, I have the potential to change this world right here. Jesus is the key to that. If you want to stop being selfish, if you want to say, God, I don't want to be so inwardly focused, go make a disciple. Being an unshakable person means that living an unshakable life is part of what you do. Following an unshakable Savior by pursuing his unshakable mission. It's something that we do. Being unshakable is deciding I do three things and three things only. I'm a disciple every day. I deny myself every day, and I make another disciple every day. That's all it is. That's the formula to success. That's what Peter did. Anything he did, whether he, he cut some dude's ear off or he said something weird, none of that disqualified him because the next day he was doing the same three things. He denied Jesus three times, and the next day he was back at it again. I, I don't have an answer for you, but it's ridiculously simple. None of that stuff kept Peter down. If you read later on after he did all that dumb stuff, we never hear him complain about his past. Isn't that amazing? He's the guy that everyone rips on. <laughs> He's the guy that preachers all over the world say, look at this guy, he cut people. He, but that dude never once looked back. Why? Because he was so fixed on making a disciple. He didn't question on what's my destiny, what's my purpose, what, what about my college degree, what about what I studied for, what about all this debt? He said, you know what, I'm just going to go make a disciple today. And I know that as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, what I'm designed to do, what God called me out of darkness to do, I know that he'll take care of the rest. 
Hey, you might as well come up here. I'm about to close. But I really want to drive that point home, guys, that living an unshakable mission, this is supposed to be a talk about missionary work, which it is. Um, actually, it's not a talk. It's a sermon. But um, the only thing I can come down to is make a disciple. That's what we do. I love people. I love people. I get in the trenches with them. I pray with them. I say a bunch of dumb stuff. I apologize, and then I keep doing it. <laughs> and I think that's the only reason why I'm standing here today is just because I don't give up, because I've decided to be unshakable. There's nothing in my past that would derail me because I've already made peace with it. I said, that's not me anymore. That's not who I am. I don't have a possibility of being let down by my dreams because that's not my dream anymore. I remember everyone wanted to be rich and famous. I don't want to be rich and famous. I just want to change people's worlds. That's all I want to do. Because that's what Jesus did to me. And as long as I keep pouring out, and as long as I keep understanding that it's through that unshakable mission, I have my true purpose. And I guarantee you, that true purpose, once you've really decided to give that purpose to God, I guarantee you, your life will change completely. Because it's no longer up to you anymore. It's about what he did 2,000 years ago. And the fact that you're still doing his work today, and it's a privilege because there's nothing better for you to do as a disciple.